together. Father, thank you for these kids right here. They're such a gift to us. We love them so, so much. And Father, it is our big ask that we love them well, we treat them well, that we listen to them well, and that we guide them in the truth. And Father, I'm asking that you protect them as they start school, and I'm asking, God, that you give them two ears that listen and a heart that really, really takes, takes in the things that you want them to hear. Guide them in their classrooms, teach them to love you, teach them to love the other kids in their room, teach them to love their teachers, and Father, please protect those in education standing up. Protect them. It is a mad, mad world out there, God, that, and you very well know that, and these folks need help, and so we're asking for your love, your guidance, and your protection. Thank you so much, God, for all the work that you're doing. We love you, and all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Thanks, guys. Oh, I got juice boxes for all of you kiddos. Turn around. Come up here and grab, you can just grab a juice box and then head back. All right. We are in a series, just turn our attention here now, uh, it's now your lesson, we're now turning our attention to your lesson. So we, what are we doing right now? We're in this series where we're trying to give shape to what, we coll- what we're collectively as a church putting our minds to. You can call it a vision series if you want, a little mini uh, vision series. So what we're doing right now, we started last week, talking about it today and the next uh, few weeks. What we're doing is, is we're, 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 we're talking, we're thinking and talking about and looking into the Bible for answers as to what are we as a group of people coming together, like collectively putting our minds, our hearts, our money, um, and our talents to. The word, you ready, is discipleship, discipleship, discipleship. Repeat it after me, discipleship, discipleship to Jesus. This is it. Like, I, we're not... There's a whole host of things, good things that the church does, that the Oaks Community Church does, but discipleship is the primary identity of who we are and what we want to be. We want to be disciples of Jesus. We are a bunch of people coming together trying to figure out, by looking at the gospel, what does it mean to apply this gospel to our lives in all, in all areas. We are trying to pick up the way of Jesus. Jesus isn't just Savior. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, there's a way, there is a way in which we need to live, and that is we pick up the way of Jesus. So, um, discipleship to Jesus has, we want to, we say that they have certain values, there are certain values to to following Jesus. Um, For us, those are rest, roots, renewal, rest, roots, renewal, that just for us in this cultural moment what we've identified is three values that really give shape to following Jesus in 2021. Uh, we went over these last week. I'll just go over them really quickly again for you. We value resting in God. We as a church value resting in God. As a church, we want to be a people who are attending to our souls. We want to slow down. 
We want to we really embrace things like prayer, sitting in silence and solitude, obviously reading the scripture, not taking on too much, instead sitting still, intentionally ceasing production every once in a while, listening, learning, speaking with God, these things. We, be, we value being rooted into a, a local church, a local community like this. That's a value for us. Um, we don't want to be isolated Christians. We don't want to be just consumer Christians that think, oh, I can just live out my life with Jesus in the context of my own living room. Wrong. There's no concept of that in the Bible. Um, we want to be deeply connected, you know, to each other and serve each other, okay? Lastly, we want to be a, we're a people that we value bringing renewal to the brokenhearted around us. That's so much what our mercy ministry is about. That's why we're doing it. We don't want to just take care of our souls. We don't want to just take care of each other in church and serve each other. We want to serve people who, who aren't here and who are struggling, yeah? So we want to be good neighbors. That's who we are as a church. That's what we're trying to do. Right now, last week, today, and the next few weeks, we're just looking at this value of roots, being rooted into the local church. Last week, I talked about the reason for that, like the why of that. Why, do you, why should you as a Christian be rooted in a local church? Like, I don't, we don't want to just say, hey, be rooted in a local church and not give you a reason for it. So last week, I talked about that. Maturity, growth, that um, it is in the context of community that you mature. You do not mature as a Christian in isolation. You just don't. Um, so we talked about that. But, okay, great. So what kind of a community creates this growth? What, like, what are the things that we should be doing? What kind of a community in Christ creates maturity? That's today and the next couple of weeks. All right? So there's an iconic passage that you, some of you church folk are familiar with, Matthew 13. Turn there, Matthew 13. It is so beautiful and helpful, and I think it really will give, uh, it challenges, I would say. It challenges how we live out healthy, loving community. Like, what are we doing when we come together and when we relate to each other? So Matthew 13. So turn your Bible on, open your Bible up, Go to Matthew 13. We're starting at the very beginning, verse 1, Matthew 13, and we're going to read all the way to verse 31. So where normally I would ask you to stand out of respect for God's word, let's just, let's just sit, let this sink in, because I'm going to read a lot here. Here it begins. We hear the teachings of Jesus here, starting in Matthew 13, 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered around, or gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up. Um, since they had no depth of soil, but when uh, they, the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on the good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. You got ears? 
Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, well, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they don't hear. Nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of you know, Isaiah, back way back in the day, is fulfilled. Where he said, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but you won't perceive. For these people's hearts have grown dull. And their ears can barely hear, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and their ears, uh, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are you, are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself. There's that word, root. But endures for a while, and then tribulation or persecution arises on account of the world, and immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, uh, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on the good soil, um, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in, in one case a hundredfold, and in another sixty, and in another thirty. And he put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants, you see, they come and they bore up grain, and the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, you, you did not sow good, uh, sorry, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? And he said, no. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them into bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Last one, ready? He put another parable before him, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field in the smallest of seeds. But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. This is the word of the Lord. Great job, guys. We got through there. I know it was a lot, but it'll all make sense to you in a second, the reason why we did all of that. So what's Jesus talking about in all of that? One theme, really. The kingdom of heaven, right? Right there. Um, he's teaching us about the kingdom of heaven. The, verse is, the, the answer is right there in verse 11, the beginning, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Here, when you come to Matthew 13, you can just title it. Here are the secrets. 
Jesus is telling secrets. That's what he's doing. He's telling secrets, secrets about the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is this amazing thing Jesus says he's doing here now, right here, amongst us. He's building something, building something primarily through a group of people, a whole new set of human beings. Paul says you're like new, a new creation. Jesus is building new human beings. Slowly, he's doing it. And he's planned it all along. The kingdom of heaven is this grand work that he's planned from the very beginning to reconcile all things unto him, to make peace, harmony, flourishing. Okay, so, and you're looking at, as you read all of that, what are we learning about this kingdom of heaven? What are the striking elements of that entire passage that we read? What are the repeated themes, you know, if you were a note taker? I'll give you some of them right now. You ready? One, Jesus teaches that the kingdom, that he teaches it in a very gradual way. He teaches it in a slow kind of way. Here's what I mean. When I give my kids directions, I'm abundantly specific and clear. Go out that door, into the garage, second shelf, this screwdriver, it's this long, bring it back to me. You know what I mean? Do nothing else other than the things that I just explained to you. Jesus doesn't teach that way. Do you see that? How does he, he wants to talk about the most unbelievable thing in the world's ever known, the kingdom of heaven. And how does he do it? Riddles. He teaches through stories, these strange little stories. And um, he, they're purposely meant to be everyday and ordinary. I mean, there's nothing really confusing about the elements of parables. Um, but yet, what they're trying to communicate is so often counterintuitive and countercultural that it stumps people. Um, you, Jesus teaches about the kingdom using stories like seeds, soils, weeds, and yeast. And so it's like, well, that makes sense in a way. Um, but then, like, what it's trying to tell you about the kingdom of heaven really challenges people. And it really makes them stop and have to think. And none of this is by accident, as you know, he says. I mean, he ends, like he ends all of that by saying, he who has ears, let him hear. And he tells these weird stories, and then he's like, you got ears? That's a very, very, very inefficient way of teaching. I mean, I teach for a living. And I'm telling you, it's a terribly, it's an inefficient way of teaching. Because, I'm, now, don't hear me wrong, Jesus is incredibly efficient in the amount of his words. He's brief, very often very brief, but he is not efficient if he wants you to understand immediately. He almost does it in such a way that it has to be this slow drip, gradual process of you being like, what? Can I ask a question? And then he allows it and you, you engage, right? He's inviting people into this process of, of he gives some information, they ask for more kind of process and learning and developing. And you see that unfold as he spends time with his disciples. Two, Jesus doesn't just teach in a slow way. He grows people in a slow way, doesn't he? That was the standout feature of the parable of the sower. I mean, when you look at it, the seeds in the little story represent, of course, the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom is going out like it's like almost like God is just, he's prodigal. Like he's just almost extravagantly wasteful. He doesn't even care. Like where the kingdom is being spread. And it's just all over. Uh, and the kingdom is going out to all sorts of different people. 
There are some people that just flat out aren't interested. That's the path. There are some that are interested, but they're impatient, aren't they? They, maybe they, these are the people that, like, they assume too much early on. Oh, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. I mess up in life, he dies for me and saves me. Moving on, I'm a Christian. Like, we're done here. So they assume too much. And then what happens is, is because of this, they have no root. And because of that, hard things in their life come and they fall away. Um, some are interested and they understand, uh, but over enough time, distraction like really, really great opportunities and money get in the way. That's what he's saying. But then some are interested and understand, but for some mysterious reason, for some mysterious reason, there are people in the world, according to Jesus, that hear the words about the kingdom of heaven, they, they take it in, and they hold on to it. They just hold on to it. They stay interested in it. And over time, they bear fruit. Now, Luke 8, Luke's version of this tells the exact same little story, and he adds this line that they bear fruit with patience. Patience. The perennial question, I can tell you, I've sat and talked to people many times about the parable of the sower. The perennial question about the parable of the sower, is it about the patience of the Christian, the good soil, or is it about the patience of God, the sower? Which one? It's both. It's both. I think it's both. All right, so three. The next thing I think that's striking about all this is Jesus patiently endures setbacks, doesn't he? He's just patient with setbacks. That's the parable of the weeds. So Jesus is like a farmer in that story. He's growing a kingdom, yeah? And his kingdom has all sorts of evil shenanigans, right? popping up inside of his field, inside of his church, inside of his world, however you want to look at it. And instead of rushing in, right, instead of rushing in and cleaning house, he doesn't do it. He patiently forbears it. Jesus puts up with all the shenanigans. He puts up with all the confusion. He puts up with all the conflict, the controversy. He, he just trusts the work he's doing in his wheat. He trusts his disciples to just endure. He doesn't swoop in with quick judgment for all his disciples. He doesn't abandon them either. And there are other places in Scripture that help us understand that, like John 15, where it's like, well, he doesn't swoop in and rescue you from pain, but he, what he does is he abides in you. Like, he does this work inside you. He stays with you. And he, 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 he does this really mysterious, strange thing of maturing you through the conflict, through the weeds that are around you. Four, last one, Jesus doesn't just patiently endure conflict and setbacks in his kingdom. He patiently trusts small beginnings. He patiently trusts things that look insignificant, that the, his kingdom looks insignificant, or his kingdom people look insignificant. When you look at the two illustrations of the mustard seed and the leaven, what is it telling you? I mean, it's, it's a really short little thing, but what, what do they both have in common? They both start out so tiny. I wish I had a mustard seed. I don't have one, but I bet if I did and I held it up, you probably couldn't see it. It's really small. Like, it, 
this idea, this, 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 this thing he's getting across is something that looks so insignificant, so small, but I know what it's capable of, and if you give it enough time, it will shock you. That's what he's communicating about his kingdom. There's nothing overtly powerful or strong about leaven. That's yeast, right? There's nothing overtly, seemingly powerful about a little mustard seed. Yet if you trust its process slowly, they will prevail. All right, I'll give you four things. Now, I know you could probably pull more if we were all together just doing a long Bible study, but that's enough for now. What does all that teach us? Sum it up. What is one of the standout features of the kingdom of heaven? Here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to hear for today. There is a particular kind of pace to the kingdom of heaven. There is a pace to the kingdom of heaven and the way in which God is growing it. And the pace is not fast, is it? It is not flashy, it is not reactionary or rash, unlike what we see in our world. Jesus is not like that with his kingdom. Jesus is telling us in Matthew 13 that he is building his kingdom through a kind of lovingly patient, gradual process. You have to imagine Jesus standing here telling a crowd of people, do you want to know the secrets to the kingdom of heaven? The thing that people, it just stumps people all the time, it's slow. It's really, really slow. Christopher Smith and John Pattison, they wrote this great little book called Slow Church. And they say this, uh, God is transforming and reconciling the world. True. But unlike human revolutionaries who demand instant and total change, God is not impatient. The arc of the universe bends toward the full reconciliation of all creation, but phew, come, Lord Jesus, that arc is long. In an age when instant gratification reigns supreme, the lesson of these parables is provocative and surprisingly insistent. But this seems to be the way that God usually works in the world. As A.W. Tozer has said, the faith of Christ offers no button to push for quick service. The new order must wait for the Lord's own time. Here's how this all fits together for you, okay? The pace of the kingdom... Because you're like, where are we going with this? Here's where we're going. The pace of the kingdom, if I've made my case, you know, if I have at least given you enough time to think, okay, yeah, I think he's right. The kingdom is slow. All right, the pace of the kingdom should dictate the pace of how we do church. And so often you reflect at the church and you go, that doesn't seem to be the case. In other words, a healthy, rooted community is a patient community. Just in the same way that God is patient in building his kingdom, the same way that Jesus is patient with his, his work, the church should be patient with community. Now this is surprisingly provocative and difficult because of what Pattinson and, and Smith have said. We live in an age of instant gratification. Amen? Oh. Think about it. Really quick. Just think about it. Think about how... Our obsession, we have such an obsession with speed, don't we? If it is fast, it is automatically better to you. If it is slow, it is automatically bad. We actually would say of someone, they're slow, we wouldn't really be necessarily talking about their speed. What would we be talking about? We just automatically assume it. We like our food fast. Outside, on the run, and in the home. I have an Instapot in my kitchen. 
right? We like our food fast. We like our commutes fast. We find the fastest route on our phone. We, 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 like, we like our communication fast. It's why you text and you don't call because it takes too long to call. And it's so much quicker for you to text. We, uh, we like our farming fast, right? That's why we were destroying the planet because it's, we just try to speed it up. Let's get the crops up and into people's mouths as fast as possible, no matter the cost. We like our entertainment fast. My six-year-old encountered her first commercial, I think, last year. And I promise you, when it took place, it, right? When it took place, she screamed, Dad! And I run into the room, what? What is this? Where is my show? And I'm like, that is a commercial. And then I'm like, oh, you have never experienced a commercial, an interruption that you must wait through. And there was nothing you can do about it, right? Dad, hit fast forward. Uh, you know what I mean? Calm down. But, you know, we don't, we don't even take the time to go to the Senate any, in, anymore. Why would you do that? You can sit on your couch and watch Netflix. It takes too long. We have Alexa, Google, Siri. They speed things up. I have, a, I have this thing, this thing, right? Because I don't even want to reach and do this. Like, it's, you know? We want our diets fast, our exercises fast. And Lord, have mercy, we want our church fast. Right? Like, please, don't ask me to come to another thing. And please, could you make sure that service ends in 58 minutes? I could go on and on and on, but... My belief, and I'm sure you guys get it and you understand and you agree with me, but my belief, I think we are so marinated in a culture of speed and this flawed valuation that more and less time is better has a far more ungodly impact than we think, especially in terms of our relationships. For goodness sakes, we probably want our sex fast. That's a way to get your attention. The journalist Carl Honore describes uh, this kind of living as he calls it the cult of speed, like a religion. Like it's like speed is a religion to us. He writes, fast and slow are not just rates of change. They are shorthand for ways of being or philosophies of life. Fast is busy. Fast is controlling, aggressive, hurried, analytical, stressed, superficial, impatient, active, quantity over quality. Slow is the opposite. It's calm careful, receptive, still, intuitive, unhurried, patient, reflective, quality over quantity. It is about making real and meaningful connections with people, culture, work, food, everything. I look out at the world. I look out even in here. And I wonder, to what degree has the church smuggled in this cult of speed into how we live out our lives with Jesus and each other? We worship productivity. We worship it. We worship efficiency. 
It is a religion to us. And that is why we are stressed, we are impatient. We all have so many mental illnesses. We think that bigger and flashier and faster is better all the time. After looking carefully at the life of Jesus and our current cultural mentalities, I've just identified three basic practices. They're not meant to be exhaustive, but just three practices that I think as a church we could commit to, if you are interested and you are willing, three practices that we could commit to that could slow us down and create what I think is a patient community, and it's a community that would actually reflect the way Jesus treats us and how he's growing us. One, a patient community resists the need Resists the need for popularity, platform, power, or successism. This one might, to be fair, this one, this practice might be weighted more on the side of people like me and other, you know, Christian leaders, whether they be preachers, pastors, these sorts of things. But I know all of us are tempted to this mentality, but particularly people like me are tempted to it. So many of us serving in the church or in our ministry want our work to count. Um, we want to do big things for God. We hate the slowness of small things. We hate the image of, or, or the feeling of like maybe being a possible failure. So you try to do something, no one shows up, and you just are like, this stinks. You know? Or you post something online, and it's like three people watched it or followed it or thumbs upped it, and you're like, crap. Why don't I have 5,000 followers? Like these, they infect all of us. And yet, when we look at Jesus, man, you see it's profoundly something very different. I am telling you, and you can look and you will find Jesus is consistently fame shy. Fame shy. Consistently, he heals a leper and he's like, please don't tell anybody. Like, he, he's doing something way cooler than your most. Whoever your biggest influencer is that you think is, Jesus is healing somebody with leprosy, and he's like, don't tell anyone. He's healing crowds of people, and they're all coming, and he's like, please, don't tell anyone about it. Consistently in the Gospels, they all, they all point to this reality. Like in Luke 9, you see it. In Mark, you see it. All these different places. How does this idea sit with you? When you think about your role in the church and your own witness for Jesus, do you value the small little overlooked acts of service? Just because someone has authority, influence, or power doesn't make them bad or evil. I want to be really clear about that. Like, I don't want you to immediately look at me and think, oh, this guy is up to no good because he has a microphone. No. But maybe, and I'm being serious, maybe we should question how much emphasis and value we place on people like me that have one of these little things. And we should start to emphasize and value the people that sweep the floor. And we should value the people that work in the children's ministry that no one notices. We should value those things or at least put them at the same level. And instead, we look and we value people that have dynamic um, or talents that seem to get more attention. It doesn't make them more powerful in God's kingdom. Trust me. Two, another practice would be this. Patient community resists vengeance. See, a patient community resists vengeance. 
See, te terrible things happen in the world, and unfortunately, terrible things happen in the church. And we are tempted to rush in to pay our enemies back for what they've done. It's natural to us. It's just, it's just natural since the very beginning, since the garden, yeah? Like, since the garden, like, this has been happening to us. It stretches all the way back. We do this because rightfully, it is right, and it is right to feel this way, we desire justice and fairness, and that is a godly thing. And it is an aspect of God's people to pursue justice. In our relationships, in our neighborhoods, even in the world, it is good for us to look out for the marginalized or for the oppressed and those that can't defend themselves or look out for themselves. But here's the thing. Here's, there has to be a clear line of demarcation. We cannot rush in and say, yes, but let's pay people back for what they've done. No, 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 no. We, are, we have very clear instructions to not give ourselves to that. We cannot get back at our enemies or the bullies of this world. That You know, God is calling us to be very different. Jesus is teaching us to, to wait and patiently endure. In Luke 9, there's this scene. Uh, it's a really, it's a great scene. Jesus is rejected by a village of Samaritans. Yeah, they show no hospitality. And James and John, the Thunder Boys, they are so angered by this. You know, they're just, this is so wrong. And so they go to Jesus and they say, Lord, do you want us, this is, I'm reading it. Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? And Jesus does what? Rebukes them. Seriously, guys? Anytime we pursue peace, hospitality, mercy, or forgiveness in the wake of feeling mistreated, we are being a community that is practicing patience. We're not saying that this is thing that they did is okay. What we're saying is it'll, God will work that out in his own good time. I will wait. Three, a patient community risks, resists quick transformation. Resists this idea of quick transformation. So the last one. There's a line in um, Dostoevsky's The Idiot. Um, it's where the prince in the story reflects on the best way of learning and, and growing. And, and he says this, quote, No one can begin by being perfect. There is much that one cannot understand of life at first. In order to attain to perfection, one must begin by failing to understand much. If we take in knowledge too quickly, we very likely aren't taking it in at all. So... What I'm trying to get at here is that a patient community remembers that transformation and development is a long process. So in other words, Jesus might convert and save someone quickly, in a night, in a moment, but he does not mature you that way. No, no, no. That's not true of other people, and please hear me, it is not true of you. It is not true of me. It is a long process. One of my favorite and yet overlooked themes of all the gospel accounts is how slow on the uptake all the disciples are to change. Repeatedly, they see miracles, and then a day later, they doubt. Repeatedly, they hear teachings of Jesus, and then the day next after that, they start showing no, no sign that they understood it. It just takes a constant slow drip of making mistakes, asking questions. There is a long process.
process. It was slow, gradual, little process of questions, error, confession, repentance, rinse, repeat. People that are serious about picking up the way of Jesus are picking up a completely different, topsy-turvy way of living. Do you realize that? It does not come quickly. Now, you're like, yes, amen. But do when we look at other people, do we give them that same reality or that that, you know, that same kind of understanding, we place that upon them. I'm just trying to say this. Will we be a church of know-it-alls? Or will we be a church of curious, humble listeners, even to the beginners in Christ? Because maybe they might have something to teach you. Right? Like, it is amazing as a parent. A parent can be a parent of, like, a six-year-old. And then they talk to a parent of a one-year-old. And the parent of the six-year-old talks to the parent of the one-year-old like a complete expert. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And we laugh about that. But the thing is, is Christian people do that all the time. It's like we completely forget. We erase from our memory. We were once an absolute idiot. And we were struggling. And we didn't know very much. And we just wished someone would come along that knew a whole lot and would constantly talk to us in a very humble way and be like, oh, your lack of knowledge, I, I totally... It, we're all beginners in Jesus. Will we be a church of I'm fully arrived and different? Why aren't you kind of people? Or will we be a church of, man, God, God has rescued me in Jesus. I'm not what I once was, but I'm not nearly as far as you might think I am kind of people. Think of where we are right now. Just as we close, think of where we are as a society and as a culture. We are a people right now, friends, please listen. We are a people right now that are rushing each other in our transformation. And transformation is happening, right? Like, like controversy, conflict, these things always bring about transformation. They do. And so the question is, what kind of transformation? Will it be a good one or will it be a bad one? But we're all going through transformation. Are we impatiently turning inward and fleeing the community of diverse preferences? Are, are, are we impatiently turning to judgmentalism and we just hate people who are different than us or who think differently than us or who are on a different uh, stage in the process than us? I mean, it's like we are so mad at each other because they're not at the same place of understanding or conviction as we are. We give absolutely no credence to how long it takes to transform and the entire world has been turned upside down, Right? Patience with each other, for goodness sakes. Patience. That doesn't mean what they are doing isn't wrong. or It doesn't mean that like, you need to come to their side even. But it might be good of us to ask questions. Why are you in the place that you're in? Maybe there is something in your side of things, in your perspective of things, that I don't see or that I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? You might actually become wiser from having listened. Patient community. Patience with each other. Because if anything, we have, been seen, we have seen that God has been patient with us. We must all remember how hard it has been over the last two years or a year and a half. So it is a time to dig deep and pray for the patient love of God. So as you come to communion this morning, 
remembering this bread that is broken for you. This is Christ's body broken, and this cup of wine represents Christ's blood shed for you. As you come to communion this morning, there's a station there, and there's a station there. What I would ask of you is please, is to spend just a moment to reflect on how patient God has been with you, not so that you can feel guilty about it. Please don't feel guilty about that. What it does is it softens you to the people that you want to rush. The people that you want to rush in your life right now, you will, be, you, will be, you will take a step back if you start to take a moment to recognize how patient, how God endures with us in our mess-ups and our slow starts and our fits and starts and all of it. Thank you for coming this morning. If you're new to this process of communion, we just come up to one of the stations. We take a piece of the bread that represents Christ's body broken for us on the cross, and we dip it in the wine or the juice, which is the blood, represents the blood which he shed for us. We ask that you do that just with a genuine heart towards Jesus, that you're a Christian. You work that out in your own self. If you need help, come ask questions. Father, we love you this morning, and we thank you for the time that we've had. We thank you for the kids. We thank you for the teachers, the administrators, the helpers, the aides, the everything that's going to go on in the schools. Father, help us as a community in this time of incredible controversy and conflict to be patient with each other. Please guide us in this by your spirit. Help us to remember how patient you have been with us, that you stayed on the cross, you endured the cross because of our deep, deep sin and shame. And we love you for that, and we praise you for that. It's in your name. Amen.